to the second episode of the iMOOC Live podcast. Uh, this week, Katie Martin and myself, we talked with Brady Venables and Sean Clark, some of the very interesting things that they're doing in their schools, how they're revamping professional learning, how they model risks uh, to their teachers to really change experiences for their students. And then Katie Martin and I will talk about some of the concepts from part one of the book. And then at the end, we take some questions talking about how do we get parents to embrace the notion of innovation and education and how do we actually uh, model some of the uh, risks and, and ask questions to really further our practice. I hope you enjoy the episode. We look forward to hearing from you. Hey, good morning, everyone. It is George Kuros uh, here in Edmonton, Alberta. We are uh, broadcasting iMOOC episode live or live episode number two. I am with Katie Martin. She'll be co-hosting with me today. And I am extremely excited to um, have Sean Clark and Brady Venables. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I'm sure she'll correct me if I'm wrong. Um, in the Hangout now with me. And uh, we're just going to be talking about um, this episode. We're going to have a, a, an interview with them. And then Katie and I will actually uh, talk about some of the concepts in part one of the book, The Innovator's Mindset, and then we're going to take some of your questions. Uh, before we start, I just want to thank um, everybody for their blog posts. They have been absolutely amazing. Some of the um, videos that people are sharing, the reflections are absolutely amazing. Um, I'm really excited about Sean and Brady being part of this, not only because they're um, amazing educators, but they're also actively participating in the group as well. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to them. It's Sean and Brady, if you can just kind of introduce yourselves and tell us what you do, uh, we would love to hear from you. Hi, good morning. I'm Sean Clark. I'm Director of Curriculum and Instruction for School of Schools. I've been there for five years and I was a um, principal of a middle school for 11 years. And I'm Brady Venables, and I also work in Saluda County Schools as the district's instructional technology specialist. So I help coordinate effective use of technology from kindergarten to 12th grade in our five schools. And we're in South Carolina. I don't know if we said South Carolina. Great. Well, we are very excited to have you guys on the show and to share some of your experiences with us. So one of the big parts or the big ideas in part one is about taking risks and helping people to um, think about how to do things differently in their classrooms. So in your roles, how are you helping teachers take risks and convincing them or creating the environment for them to take risks in their practice? One mindset that we try to behave in is that leaders go first. So whenever we have the opportunity to provide a model lesson or try something out first before the teacher takes that risks, risk, we do that. So for example, we recently did project-based learning where we taught a true PBL class for over 60 days to show the teachers in our district that we were willing to do it first and they could learn from our mistakes. And how we did that is 60 days is a long time to commit as working in the central office and the district level is we just put off everything else that we were supposed to do and make a priority. And that showed people that's what we're willing to do. Um, and Brady Double Dog dared me to a challenge recently. If you look up um, hashtag 500C and trying to get in 500 classrooms in 180 days. So that challenge is on as well as participating in this iMOOC. So, so tell like, how are you actually, like, give us a, an example of like something that you're doing that's like, really tr like really modeling the way and and how have you actually um, seen it being embraced by teachers and and how does it actually lead to like students being empowered in their in their learning 
I'm working with an eighth grade math class in our middle school, and they are creating a blog of math tutorials. And the reason it's important for our students is that we just went one to one and our students in the middle school felt like they couldn't find tutorial videos to support the way their teachers were teaching the content. And we also have a large ESOL population with a lot of Spanish speaking students. And so our students in the math class are creating this blog, providing tutorials for the units in two languages to support our kids in our district, but also it's out there on the internet. So it's going to support kids all over. And our kids are taking ownership of it and very excited about it and really doing the great work of creating content on the internet and not just consuming it. That's great. So building on that, one of the things that we talk about is the curriculum. There's a lot of challenges. Teachers have to get through the curriculum and feel pressured. How are you helping teachers to empower students or empowering teachers to really build curiosity and, um, and, and still align to the curriculum that they need to get through? Well, like she said, when we did the project-based learning, when Brady was talking about that earlier, we started with the standards in the curriculum and we worked with the content standards. However, we also showed teachers through our modeling that the most important thing the kids came away with is that they actually became better people. And we were, we talked about it nonstop, how the biggest impact they had was that that group of students learned to work together and they learned to search things for themselves. They learned to stop raising their hands and waiting for us to tell them things to do. They took initiative. So we modeled that, we bottled that, we presented that to several um, surrounding districts, state level. Um, we've applied to present that nationally as well. So I think it was, again, going first um, and then experimenting with things um, that'll spark the kids' curiosity that's uh, projects we've never done before. We're about to embark on Breakout EDU. If you find their groups on Facebook, it's like escape rooms. If people have experience with those, we're bringing in Escape the Bus. We're gonna try that to keep the kids curious and get them to be problem finders and problem solvers. I also think it's really powerful that the district's director of curriculum and instruction, Sean, is in the classrooms doing these things. It's not just something that she's telling people from the district office is a good idea. She is in there side by side. So if it means she ends up working late into the night on all her paperwork, she does that so that during the school day, she's in the classes, which I think is very powerful. And, and when you when you talk about that, um, and I think this is a question that's come up several times, you know, in, uh, you know, people asking about iMOOC and, and innovators mindset. Uh, when you talk about innovation, like how do you actually, one, keep up and understand what student needs are, but how do you actually decide like what they're learning and, and why it's important, you know, like when we're shifting away from not necessarily things in the curriculum, but, you know, maybe shifting away from what we've done as traditional practices, are you actually trying to figure out and understand what, like what student needs are and how do we actually prepare them for the future? Well, one thing I'm really good at is I'm kind of like a teenager and a kid myself. <laughs> the things that they're interested in, I'm interested in, um, when they talk about watching The Real Housewives, I watch every episode from every county. For so, research purposes, obviously. Research purposes, that's what I tell my husband. It's just about schooling. I'm trying to stay up with the kids. Um, plus getting into the classrooms. When we go into the classrooms, we don't really focus on what the teacher's doing. We interview the kids. So we ask them, like, what are you engaging in? Like, what do you care about? Um, so finding out their needs through first asking them questions. One thing is when people observe, um, sometimes they're not really asking the kids things. Um, so I think that helps a lot. 
always knowing what the kids are into and being part of this iMOOC helps as well. We're learning from y'all every day and then taking it directly back to our district and working with the kids and asking them more questions. And like Dave Burgess said last week, um, educators do read too narrowly. And so we make it our business to look outside of typical education books and blogs and things like that to see what our kids need on a broad scale. So we're both avid readers on Medium. We read business books. We just keep in touch with the kids. We build relationships with the students, even though none of them are our kids, just to make sure that we're meeting their needs. So here's something that I want you to just maybe push back or maybe think about or you know share your thoughts on is that sometimes we'll say things like we really listen to students, we really want to connect with them, but what happens when a student says, I really want worksheets, I love worksheets, they're the best thing ever, and, and do we ignore that? Or like how would you go about that process? Because I look at a lot of kids who are extremely academic you see that if they're conditioned to a certain system uh, they don't want to move away from it because they've done it very well so what happens when you have that you know challenge where you're like this might not be better for kid long term but this is what they're actually asking for that happened to us when we did our project-based learning with third grade the kids got very frustrated that we weren't serving them the questions uh -huh. and serving them the answers. And so we stopped it and we talked about how when they have a conversation at the dinner table, are they raising their hands? So we make sure that we connect it to their real world experiences that they're actually having so that they know the skills they're practicing in the classroom are really skills for the real world. Our students are academically compliant sometimes. So we do Absolutely. find ourselves doing some untraining but we're very transparent with the kids about the purpose of it and talking about how this is a real world skill. And so we're not trying to get them to be good at school. We're trying to get them to be good at interacting with people. And how do you know a different way unless you show a different way? If they don't see that and experience that in the classroom, because it literally took us, I'd say a good two weeks to stop children from raising their hands. They were not allowed to speak with any freedom as far as having a discussion. So you have to show it. So I think it'd be incremental. It's not like you say, no, you're never getting that worksheet or let me give you a half a worksheet today, but we do incrementally show them the way. But it can be different. And why should they be any different when you maybe get that? Y'all talk about pockets of innovation frequently. Why should they know different when it happens in one room and they go to five other classes and it's so traditional in the same way? So that's normal behavior, I would say, and expected. Great. So one of the last questions is, um, you know, we t George talks a lot about if we want innovative students, we need innovative educators. You guys talked a little bit about your own reading and how you push your own thinking, but can you describe a little bit more how you lead as innovative educators to help um, model that for students and teachers? I think the first thing is that we're so lucky to have each other to hold each other accountable. We're super... Um, now, I don't want to say stubborn, but stubborn in the best way. So if she, so if I told her she needs to get in 500 classes this year, I will ask her regularly how many classes she got in and what did she do? And then I will say, and what changes are you going to make as director of curriculum instruction based on what you saw? So to have that innovative idea in the district, it's very helpful to have another person that's walking that path with you who will question you and hold you accountable to what you say you're going to do. Yeah, she pretty much pushes me off the cliff on a daily basis, um, but in a good way, push me to be better. And our professional learning, because we are in charge of giving in our district, 
I'd say that's very innovative. We do a lot of Google Hangouts. We use a lot of video. As far as we video people, we learn from people on video. Um, we use Swivel. Um, I think we use a lot of innovative tools to make it where the PD is not the same. We make it optional in so many cases. It's not mandated professional learning. Which we try to, you know, think of. Would you be a one? Would you want to be a student in your classroom? And we take it further. Would we want to be teachers receiving our PD? So we offer PD that is just like this with a Google Hangout, self-paced through Google Classroom, live one-on-one. -on -one. And we offer lots of choices for our teachers, just like we would hope they would do for our students. We, we've taken a lot of risk too, sharing what we do through the blocking, which George did kind of kick off for us on Cinco de Mayo 2016, that's when we started. <laughs> uh, we have not gotten 100% positive feedback and support by putting ourselves out there, but we're still doing it. We're still taking the risk by sharing what we've learned and how we failed and that we still have so much more to learn. And uh, I think that just from my interactions with you, I met both, uh, I met Brady, La, I think about a year and a half ago and Sean just recently. And uh, everything that I see you guys do um, is always in the best interest of kids. And sometimes, you know, sometimes adults struggle with that, you know, um, and, and not necessarily because they don't want to do what's best for kids or something like that, but they sometimes lose, you know, why we became an educator. Like when you, no one walks into education saying, man, I cannot wait to start testing kids. Like that's what I want to do. Right. But somehow we get lost in, in some of the, you know, the, the minutia of, of education and we kind of forget our purpose. So I really want to thank you guys for uh, taking time to uh, be here on the show I know it's not that early for you. It's early for Katie and I because you're on the East Coast, but um, I know that you have a million things you could be doing today. Um, just can you tell us, like, where can we find you on Twitter, blogs, anywhere else, and just share that, please. That would be great. We blog together at venablesandclark.com. Hashtag classroom confessional. And we're on Twitter. I'm at Brady Venables. And I'm at Sean B. Love. It's not being cute. That was my first married name, so I had to keep it. Um, yeah, so find us, connect with us. We are huge sharers. We love to share. What's good for our kids is good for all kids. So reach out to us. We will support anyone trying to teach children. Great. Thank you guys for sharing such great examples and really appreciate your um, push as leaders, how you push each other and how you are really leading um, by getting into the classrooms and really trying things out and taking risks. So thanks for sharing. And we look forward to following up on your efforts in the classrooms. Thank thanks. you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we are moving into the next portion. We're gonna look at five different topics from the, or the part one of the Innovator's Mindset. And the first, so we'll take three minutes for each of the five prompts. And the first one, I'm going to start off. George, you talk a lot about innovation, the innovator's mindset. Um, what does this mean? What is innovation in education? So give us some examples of what this means to you. Well, this is a conversation because you actually look at innovation. It, it comes up quite a bit um, in conversations. I think a lot of districts are moving towards the term innovation without actually being innovative. Like some districts, what they see as innovative is that they'll now have uh, places where kids can walk in and store their phones so they don't actually use them and that they see as an innovative practice. Um, and, and so simply, when I talk about the notion of innovation, we look at it as being new and better. 
And so what is crucial there, it's not one or the other. So if it's simply new um, it, it, and it's not better, it's actually not beneficial to our kids. Um, so you actually see, like, for example, um, using a very simple thing like Google Forms. I know this is not like, you know, rocket science, but actually giving kids an opportunity to, you know, um, share ideas collaboratively. Um, one teacher in Chicago, she had a form where she'd say, hey, if you have a problem, come talk to me. But if you don't feel comfortable, here's a Google Form uh, and you can actually reach out this way. And so kids that maybe wouldn't feel comfortable talking, you know, face to face, um, it, it actually is something that, you know, uh, they now have an opportunity to connect. So it's actually better opportunities for those kids. Um, yesterday, I read a post, though, and, and, and one of them, one of the things that was said was, is it it's new or better? And I, I absolutely disagree with that. It has to be better for it actually to be termed innovation. Great. And just... But to follow up on that, some examples, some concrete things, a lot of times teachers don't really understand what's possible for kids. And so thinking about their own experience, very often teachers use Microsoft Word and they type and they, so they expect students to do that or write it on in their journals and turn in their writing. And it's only to the teacher and the students don't really have any purpose. So one of the things I like to do with teachers is just simply get them on Google Docs or get them on the new form that they can use. I was working with a group of teachers recently and they were so frustrated their district was moving from Microsoft Word to Google Docs. They didn't understand why. And we got on a document together and they were giddy. They were playing and seeing their little icons coming up. And all of a sudden, these group of teachers were talking about what they could do and how they could change writing practices for kids in their classrooms. So sometimes innovation doesn't have to be a big new program or a new room, but simply allowing people opportunities to think about what exists and how to move to that next level. Yeah, and I think that I think that's really crucial is that even though we both gave examples of technology, both of us totally believe it's not necessarily always equated to technology. It's how you it's how you teach English. It's how you teach phys ed. Um, it's how you promote healthy living in your classrooms. Like um, there, I read an article this morning about. Uh, school moving away from detentions to mindfulness. So kids would actually go meditate and, and think, and they've actually seen a decrease um, in in what is actually you know happening with you know uh, negative con or negative actions by students uh, because they've shifted their thinking in, in what they're doing. But um, as was stated earlier, you do not have innovative students unless you have innovative educators. Educators pushing their learning. And so this will actually go into the next question. Um, when we talk about the notion of the innovator's mindset versus what you know, many have you know, embraced this notion of a growth mindset, what do you see as kind of the, the key differences between the two, Katie? Well, I see growth mindset is important. We all need to have it. Growth mindset that I can do better, I can learn, I can grow my um, aptitude and I can do something better. But I think the innovator's mindset is taking that knowledge and that, that thinking that I can do better and really turning it into doing something better. So an example, you mentioned that innovation doesn't always have to be about technology, and I, we definitely agree. So I was working with a group of high school teachers, and they were really struggling with students being eligible for college. They're in California, their A to G requirements. And so instead of they were saying we were, you know, retesting kids and we were giving them more opportunities and tutoring and it still wasn't working. So they believed they could do better and they were trying and they were there to figure out a solution. But what we did is instead we went and interviewed students and we started with that empathy and finding out what was the challenge that students were facing and what they were thinking. It turned out they were 
disconnected, they didn't have relationships, and they didn't really understand why they needed to take certain classes. So instead of teachers really wanting to do better, the, the way that they turned into from a growth mindset to an innovator's mindset is they started thinking about based on students' needs, what programs could they put in place? So these teachers couldn't necessarily change the schedule, but they could really look at programs and they started mentoring students differently. They started creating some um, checklists and things for kids to really understand the sequence and how they could progress through school. So it's a shift in thinking from, I want to do better, I can do better, to actually framing it and doing something that's gonna make an impact. And I think that's a really crucial uh, conversation. It's not that, you know, it's the, the growth, my, uh, growth mindset versus innovators mindset. There actually, there's a connection to the two, is that am I able to actually take the knowledge that I've obtained and actually then go out and do something with this knowledge? Like when we look at our kids, how many of them are really good at math and how many of them are really good at doing something that, with the math they have learned? And I think that's a really crucial, uh, you know, distinction between this is how do you actually take your knowledge uh, and develop. And, and one of the analogies that I, you know, I always talk about um, is playing the piano. Fixed mindset, I will never learn to play. Growth mindset, I can, with hard work, time, effort, I can learn to play. Innovator's mindset, I will not only learn to play, I'll compose and create music. And there's an artistry to teaching. There's an artistry to education. And how do we actually take our knowledge? If you have a kid in front of you and they're struggling with reading and you only have certain practices that you've used and none of them are working, do you actually forget about that kid? Or do you take your knowledge and actually develop something? And I think that's that's a really crucial component to, to, to what we're doing. Great example. So the next question or the next topic is about innovation inside the box. We talk a lot about, you know, we got to get outside the box. But the reality is there's a lot of constraints that exist in our school systems. Many teachers are facing administrators, parents, students, and they have to be innovative inside the box and work within certain constraints. What does this mean to you and how do you help teachers do that? Well, the, yeah, and I think that's one of the key concepts of the book is that we, we talk about this and you'll hear people saying things like, oh, we need to blow up the system. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. It's not happening anytime soon that, you know, uh, and, and, and if you do actually, and you see, uh, you know, you see areas of the world moving from public education to charter schools, and then educators are really upset about this. And there is a little bit of blowing up the system that's going or is happening there. And, and so, you know, especially when we look at like public schools and how they connect, there are always going to be constraints. There's, there's never going to be enough money. There's always going to be curriculum, probably to some extent. And I think that what, what we have to do is say, okay, these are the constraints that we work with. And what will we actually do within them? So taking something from the curriculum, and a lot of teachers will push back on this. Well, George, I have to teach a curriculum. And, and, and what I tell people is that you never, it doesn't tell you how to teach it, just kind of what you do and how do you actually connect and, and share. And one of the conversations I've been having on my blog recently, uh, somebody said, you know, like, why do you, you know, why do you have to actually get a kid to make a video? Like if you're just focusing on the notion of probability. Well, the thing is, is that when you're actually teaching probability and they're making a video, they're learning all these other skills through the process while also going deeper in their thinking. Um, the, the analogy I always use is that Vine is a six-second video service, and a bunch of people look at it and wonder what you could possibly do with six seconds. And then other people look at it and say, you should see what I can do with six seconds. The, the platform is exactly this, the same, and this constraint is the same, but it's how you think with inside the box that you work with that actually where a lot of innovation actually happens.
That's a great example. And another one that I think about a lot is planning and time. Teachers, there's never enough time for teachers to work together. And so we're always saying, you know, I, I'm struggling, I can't plan this lesson. But in some schools that I've worked in, we've really looked at the schedule and we have, we have only a certain amount of time in the day. We only, we have a certain amount of things we have to get done, but thinking about how to reframe the schedule and use different people in the, um, in the school or some different resources to think about how teachers can use time in the day to plan together. So you're still working within the constraints, but really figuring out how can we do things differently so that teachers can work together and plan and really collaborate and push one another, I think is another way to think about flipping the system. So the next, uh, the next topic we're gonna talk about is that in the book, there is, a, there is the eight characteristics of the innovator's mindset. And if you were just to Google that, you'll find images, uh, whether you have the book or not. And uh, they are reflective, empathetic, problem finders and solvers, risk takers, networked, observant, creators, and resilient. And so, um, Katie, what's something that you see is uh, maybe even lacking in education, uh, something that we don't maybe do enough, something maybe personally that you're working on, uh, you know, of those characteristics that, you know, are helping you really push this notion of the innovator's mindset in your own practice or in education as a whole? It's a great question. Uh, one of, I think, the big ones that I'm focusing on that just keeps popping up is the notion of being reflective. And I think this really um, is important at all levels. You know, a lot of times we're supporting teachers and professional learning, we're getting in the class, and so often we are so busy and we have so much to do that the first thing to get cut is the reflection. You know, we gotta get through the content or we gotta make sure we're sharing this information and we gotta get through stuff that we don't take time to pause and think about what we're learning, what we you know, what the impact is. So that's something that's really been a focus of mine is making sure that um, in my own practice, I slow down to you know think about what I'm doing. Blogging's been a big part of that. Um, when it's open reflection and it's something you're sharing with other people, it holds you more accountable and it makes you really think more about what you're doing and the impact. And I think something I've been thinking a lot about just in this last week, um, this notion of new and better, really thinking about how do you know it's better? Are you asking the people that you're working with? Are you asking those you serve and are you reflecting on your impact? Because we can't just assume it's better. We have to really understand and think about what that impact is to really see if it is better. Um, so I think reflection comes into play in a lot of ways. And I think that's a really, that's that to me is a huge one that, you know, people are not spending enough time on is this notion of reflection. Like, how are you actually making your own personal connections to, to the learning? I think that's where things have, you know, really shifted for me. Um, I know when I started blogging about six years ago, it really changed my thinking because I purposely, you know, spent time looking at the work that I was doing, trying to think about what I was doing, why I was doing it. And especially when you talk about that notion of open reflection, um, it, it, when you know anybody in the world can see it, you do think a lot deeper about it than you know maybe writing in a journal to yourself. Um, the other thing that I think you know we have a really great opportunity to do maybe in a, a different way because of technology is the notion of, of empathy. Um, when you actually understand other people's circumstances, um, you see videos of people you know that maybe you didn't have access to. You see different things. Um, do kids actually, you know, feel something different when they see a video of someone live, uh, going through an experience or they just hear about it? And I think that, you know, some of these narratives, some of these uh, videos on YouTube, people actually share in their experiences. It can actually develop a different 
way of or different, you know, feelings of empathy because you're actually experiencing along. You're, you're hearing different people's perspectives, whereas we only read about them. We read the book and kind of just move on. You don't actually see the emotion behind it. You don't necessarily feel it. Feel it. And I think uh, that's something that, you know, is really crucial. And so I know Katie will turn it over to the last question. All right. Um, the final question is about um, risk taking. I think a lot of people have been asking, how do you create this culture and how do you promote um, opportunities for people to take risks? So tell us a little bit about your experience and what you're finding works best. Well, I think that this was a great, you know, Brady and Sean talked about this quite a bit. And I think it was a, a really powerful statement how they're, they're talking about how basically they are the ones jumping off first, right? It is easy to say to other people, take risks. But when you don't actually do it, and they don't see this. And I think what's really important is to kind of understand when we talk about risk, we're not talking about like throwing kids off of, you know, the top of a school and hoping nothing happens, right? I think when we talk about risk is that we're really talking about moving away from, you know, some of the traditional practices that we have. And sometimes traditional practices that we're comfortable with that we know don't actually work just because we're comfortable with them, right? And so I think that when we talk about risk, it's how you move away from, you know, things that you've always done uh, in the pursuit of doing something better. And you, you see this is that we kind of are, in many ways, risk averse in the culture. Like um, a lot of presidents, you know, have been reelected, not necessarily because they've been, they've been comfortable, but because we're so nervous about, you know, something, you know, something new coming our way. Uh, even if it could be better or anything like that. And so there, there's a history of this uh, in many facets of the world. And I think that, you know, by modeling it, if I was to ask a teacher, um, what are the risks you are taking? They could list, they could list many. But if I asked their students, what are some of the risks your teacher is taking in their learning? They probably wouldn't know any. And I think that you have to openly reflect. Um, I know that there's some places where they have like, you know, glass rooms where, um, students can actually watch when their teachers are learning and share things or, you know, sharing different learning. I think there's a lot of element of this. So I think it's really crucial that we not only do it, but we model it. That's a great point. And I think something that we need to really thinking about reflection, um, really understand what do we think about when we take, when we were thinking about risk, what does that really mean? And I, what I mean by that is a lot of times people will say, well, I'm not allowed to take risks. I have to do this. And I think breaking that down for people and saying, what is it that you're expected to do? What makes you think you have to do it that way? Sometimes the compliance is in our own heads. Sometimes it's something that it's, we don't want to step out of our comfort zone. So we use that as an excuse. And so I find a lot of times just getting people to talk about what they think that they're supposed to do and comparing it to, you know, sometimes I'll work with superintendents and they say, we're transforming learning and we're taking risks. And then I go to the teachers and they're saying, we're not allowed to do that. We have to do X, Y, and Z, or we have to implement these programs. So I think that having open conversations about what we expect can create that culture that allow that allows people to feel like they can take risks and really push themselves to do it. Because I think that it's a combination of being scared and not, and then we put it on someone else to say, they're not letting me take a risk rather than turning it on ourselves and saying, what should I be doing to make this situation better? And, and you, I think that what you said is so crucial, this notion of like openly discussing these conversations, because 
how many teachers still to this day, when we talk about innovation, we talk about creativity, when their principal walks in, they want their students to be quiet and actually, you know, be very, show compliance, right? Show compliance that the teacher has control of every single situation because, not because the principal is asking for that, but our perception is that what is a principal might be looking for. Um, I actually, you know, full, you know, like a, like a little confession here. I remember actually when I first started teaching, telling my students ahead of time, the principal's coming today, you better be good. <laughs> I remember actually saying that. You know, you better listen, put your hands up when you have a question. And it was like we would have to kind of hold it for a little while, uh, for like 15, 20 minutes, you know, while the principal was in there. And then we could just go back to doing what we were doing before. Because in my head, the perception was it has to be total compliance, right? So um, thanks, Katie, for the discussion. And we are going to actually take um, some of the questions. You can actually, there's a, a tab on the imove.org site for your questions. So you can submit them. And we might read yours on the podcast. So um, we will start with uh, Sarah, and her Twitter handle is at Sarah H T A N Z. Sarah is spelled with an H, and she is in Tanzania, UK. And she said she asked the question: Is there a secret to coming up with uh, new, original, and creative ideas? Any any thoughts on that, Katie? I think the secret, and you say this a lot, is having more ideas, talking to more people. Um, you know, when I think of something and I think it's a great idea, I go and talk to some of my colleagues. I go and ask teachers. I share on, you know, on Twitter and get feedback. And it's amazing just the more you run up and read or ask other people, get different perspectives, how many more ideas you can have. Um, I think that we can't, we can't stay inside of our own um, you know, our own environment, we have to push out. And I, I think this is also beyond education, trying to talk with other people. We're really trying to do a lot of work in San Diego, connecting the business community, entrepreneurs, education, because I think there's so much that we can all learn from each other. So it's stepping out of what you do daily to run up against as many more, as many ideas and perspectives as you can. And I think I, I, I term that created serendipity that you know, serendipity happens because you put yourself in circumstances where these things can actually happen. And uh, one of the things like you'll, you'll see teachers you know, um, you know, that are connected, obviously they're oftentimes you know, maybe flirting with genius hour, trying something, but it's just a variation of that as well. And I think that what a lot of teachers are looking for is they wanna come up with something that nobody has ever done. And that's not necessarily the best approach. It's coming up in your classroom in the respect to your students. It's actually taking some of the ideas that you're, you know, you might see and actually reshifting them to your kids because nobody knows them better. And I think that's a really crucial component is how do you actually reshape some of your reshape to meet the needs of your students? It doesn't have to be new. So when I talk about the notion of innovation, the idea of new and better. New can be either invention or iteration. I think that's a very crucial component is that, you know, the first iPhone was invention and innovation and the newest one, maybe some people would disagree with me, there's still innovation happening, but it's an iteration. And so I think that's a really crucial component. So the next question is from uh, Shanna Bowmiller. I don't know if I'm saying that right. S-B-U-M-I-L-L-E-R on Twitter. Uh, and she said, her question is, what are suggestions for getting the parent community involved and excited about shifting traditional school mindsets 
to new mindsets of what education and school could be for their children. So how do you actually get your parents to, you know, parents and schools to actually start to embrace some of these ideas that we're talking about? That's a fabulous question. And for me, as a parent and as an educator, this is something that um, I'm really struggling with and, you know, not wrestling with, with how to talk to my peers, how to talk to my, um, the community. And I think ultimately um, what we can do, what we have to do is get people to talk about what they want for kids. That you can't disagree with, you know, I don't want my kids to be really good at worksheets. I want my kids, and I know that a lot of my neighbors want our kids to be creative. They want them to be able to persevere and all those things we want for kids, but they want them to be able to be happy and successful too. And so I think that that's something that we really need to have those conversations. And then when I talk to people, so like, if we want kids to be engaged in school and empowered to really figure out things on their own, what does the school environment have to look like? And I think always focusing back on maybe the way we went to school isn't necessarily the right way. Yes, we survived, but was that the best thing for us to be compliant and to move through school in a certain way? So ultimately, I think just like everything else, it's about having conversations. It's about really communicating what we want for kids and then thinking about what opportunities exist to move into that direction. Um, and I think it's really, um, it's just a good conversation we need to keep having. And I think that if you really want parents involved, um, and I tweeted this just, I think, the other day, and this is something we did at our school uh, when I was principal, we actually actively invited parents to our professional learning days so that they could not only see what we were talking about and what we were trying to do with our kids, but they could actually experience it. And I think when you actually have parents um, involved in that way, you want them to walk away and say, oh my God, this is so much better than when I was a kid. Whereas it's a concept that they, they've never heard of. And a lot of peer, parents, like you might, you might actually say something like, hey, we're going to start using Twitter in the classroom in 2016. And they think you're nuts because, oh my God, nobody's using Twitter in the classroom. Like, why would you do this? Why are you like subjecting our kids to whatever? Yet you see schools doing this since 2008, right? Doing this. And I think that when you start showing people and actually getting them experience, those parents now become advocates for you. They become the ones going on the community and saying, you know what? I was at this professional learning opportunity with these teachers, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and it was absolutely amazing. And this is what I want for my kids because you can say all you want. Well, you know, every parent is an expert. They believe they're an expert on school because they all went to school and we, we know we, we kind of like, you know, mock that a little bit, but give them a different experience, give them a different experience, at least open up that opportunity so that parents can talk from this experience. And while you're at it, invite some kids because there's a different accountability uh, and there's a different expectation when the kids are actually sitting in those spaces and learning alongside those teachers, why wouldn't we invite them to those days? And so the last question we'll take, oh, sorry, Katie, please go jump. I just want to jump in on that because I think there's a, one topic that um, really can highlight that point is homework. You know, we, we kind of tend to associate homework with rigor. And so a lot of times parents are saying, I want homework for my kids. Some parents are. Or teachers assume that the parents want homework. And so the teachers are giving homework. The teachers are telling me, I don't want to give homework because 
I don't even look at it. I don't have time for it. I can't really, I can't really assess what they're doing at home. Parents are telling me, oh, we got to go back to school. I don't want to get in the routine of homework. And we have so much going on with the kids. Yet no one's having these conversations together. We're starting to, but I think there's a lot of um, misinformation and misunderstanding of expectations. And I think that we need to do more about really deciding what it is that we want and, and making sure that our policies and practices align. Because if we were really um, open about what we're doing and why we're doing it, and I think homework, again, we're doing it because we've always done it in a lot of cases, especially in elementary school, regardless of the research and um, things that are coming out saying that it's not making a difference, we do it because we think it's an expectation of the other party. So the more we can be transparent about our thoughts and what's working and what's not, I think the better we can all move forward together. And, and I think that's like, I actually, I wish I would have, you know, been on time. I never, I've never as a teacher given homework to my students because I wanted them to be kids, right? So I'm not going to give them a bunch of, you know, and I've taught at the elementary and secondary level. Um, you know, maybe I could have wrote a letter that would have went viral years ago, <laughs> but Twitter didn't exist when I first started teaching. Um, the last question we'll take um, is actually from Dawn. She's in Toronto, Canada. Her Twitter handle is at D-A-U-G-H-N-L-E-G-R-O-W. Um, and so she talks about, her question is kind of focused, like, does innovation kind of, do we talk about innovation more at the elementary level or does that, does this, tend to lose steam at the secondary level where we're much more, you know, uh, content focused maybe, and maybe, you know, more uh, uh, specific. So what are your thoughts on that, Katie? More um, compliance mandates in high school that make it challenging. But I think if you go back to this notion of innovating inside the box, there are a lot of great examples of schools and educators that are really doing a really good job of meeting the needs of their students. Um, but it's really easy to rest on, um, you know, my kids have to go through and do AP and they have to meet these requirements. And that's a reality. So it's a challenge for teachers to think about, um, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's scary sometimes to think about how to change their curriculum and what they're doing with students because they're expected to pre prepare them for a certain test. But I have seen examples of some schools that are really um, pushing that cognitive load, like we talked about last week, onto the students and taking opportunities to really dive into inquiry projects and allowing those students who go home and research and find things out on their own and are learners beyond school and are really creating those opportunities in the classroom for students to connect what they need to learn and take it beyond the classroom. And one of the one of the, one of the, one of the questions that I talk about quite often is like, you know, um, how do we actually get students um, teachers to think differently about what they're how they're teaching and, and what that actually looks like? And one of the questions I pose is in in our world today, what is actually more important to teach? How to write an essay or how to write a blog post? And uh, immediately people assume that my answer is a blog post, which it isn't. The, there, there's elements of both that are extremely crucial to teach. The reason why I ask the question is because it is meant to make you think. It is meant to make you think about the practice, what you're actually doing in your classroom. Like, we know that you're going to teach an essay, that, you know, English teachers are often going to teach an essay, but I don't know if they're going to teach a blog. 
And um, this week I was talking to some English teachers and it was really fascinating to me. I said, if you didn't have to mark your students' essays, would you read them for enjoyment? And the answer was no. They wouldn't even read their own <laughs> essays. Um, and so are we getting kids, and somebody said this in the workshop, is that some kids believe that the only type of writing is the five paragraph essay, that there's no other types of writing out there. Do we actually get kids to write in ways that we would actually want to read if we weren't forced to do it part of, as part of the job? And I think that we need to start asking more and more questions. And this would be a great block prompt. Um, what are some of the questions, um, what are some questions without answers that we need to consider, that we need to get people to really rethink um, how they're doing, uh, their, their, uh, how they teach and how they learn in the classroom. Because we can't just continuously uh, say we're teaching essays because we've always taught essays. We have to rethink what does the world need? What are we doing? Um, you know, we still have you know, people being tested on how to write a newspaper article while newspapers are all dying around us, and, you know, and people are going away from that format. So I really want to thank people for uh, participating. I know for some of you, it's an early morning. Uh, I see Shannis Picard, Nikki Davison, Annette Lang, uh, Jane, uh, Gail Cole, um, and, and so many other people, Susan, Susan Cam, who's always a huge supporter of, of the work that we're doing here. Uh, I want to just kind of give you brief shout outs uh, for uh, participating in Twitter. Um, so. We, uh, on the blog post, there's some blog prompts. We want to continue um, seeing those, those short video reflections on Twitter. I think it just uh, brings us together as a community, comments other people's blogs. Um, but Kaylee and I really want to thank you for participating. And Katie, if you want to have any last words uh, to, to anyone listening. I just want to echo that. Thank you guys very much. I love reading the blogs. You know, they keep coming, such new thoughts and new ideas. and. I've just really enjoyed the community and you guys reaching out and supporting one another um, has also been really fun to see. So keep doing it and keep sharing those great ideas. So thank you for participating. Um, every one of these hangouts um, is gonna be in a podcast. So please share it with others. We are looking forward to uh, continuously connecting. I hope you enjoy the next part of the book. Thank you. <laughs>